Welcome back to the Hemp Barons podcast, everyone. I'm host Joy Beckerman and so excited to deliver to you an interview with another amazing, prolific global hemp hero, Greg Flaval, particularly in the building space, the hemp construction and hempcrete space, though he is already involved in other aspects of hemp right into plastics as well. But before we get into the interview, there's a a historic convergence taking place with the hemp crop in terms of federal regulation. Of course, it took us years after prohibition to reintroduce the crop and allow it to reemerge as an agricultural commodity in the United States. And that was established and effectuated through the 2018 Farm Bill. Um, Right now, we have three federal regulating agencies with open public comment periods with regard to very important aspects of hemp. One is the U.S. Department of Agriculture's interim final rule for the establishment of a domestic hemp production program, of which there are some pretty serious problems uh, that are setting farmers up for failure at a time, of course, when uh, farming suicides and bankruptcies are on the rise. And these are pretty serious flaws. What's fascinating is that on March 4th, uh, the USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue actually testified before Congress, and we knew that the DEA had had a major hand. They, uh, the, the Drug Enforcement Administration constantly inserts itself into the hemp industry. It cannot liberate this plant. I don't know if it's to justify its existence or what, um, but the DEA is addicted to prohibition and addicted to attacking hemp. So in any event, Sonny Perdue actually testified uh, before Congress. He said uh, the DEA was, quote, not excited about the hemp crop as a whole anyway, unquote, and that they provided, quote, pretty serious constraints, unquote, over USDA's regulatory process, specifically making, quote, a lot of impact, unquote, with testing and farming regulations. So that public comment period has actually been reopened because it, it had already closed, but there's been such public outcry and the USDA is so aware of the tremendous impact uh, that it could make if it moves forward in its present state, that it did the wise thing and the right thing and reopened it. But October 8th is when uh, those public comments are due. I do hope that you'll go to mjbulls.com and look at the uh, or listen to the podcast that we recently did with Jonathan Miller of the U.S. Hemp Roundtable. And you can go to hempsupporter.com uh, to get uh, public comments. Very easy for you to be able to submit your own public comments. And we need as many voices as possible before October 8th to do that. Additionally, the DEA itself, the Drug Enforcement Administration itself, dropped a bomb uh, on the hemp industry in August in their interim final rule for the implementation of the Agriculture Improvement Act of 2018, also known as the Farm Bill, wherein they, as usual, are overreaching their authority um, and would like to rewrite the definition of essentially hemp extract or marijuana extract and tetrahydrocannabinols um, derived from hemp. So the hemp industry wants to have the DEA out of the hemp industry. So does Congress, which is why the DEA was not mentioned one single time in the Farm Bill. And in fact, uh, hemp was removed permanently from the Controlled Substances Act, as well as tetrahydrocannabinols derived from hemp. And here we have the DEA once again overreaching and attempting uh, to abuse its authority and work in contradiction to the intent of Congress and to the will of the people. 
Finally, the FDA uh, has indefinitely reopened its public comment period with regard to the scientific data and information about products containing cannabis or cannabis-derived compounds, i.e. CBD and all of the other non-intoxicating cannabinoids that we deal with in hemp, but certainly all of the compounds. Uh, they want scientific data, true uh, research on particularly hepatoxicity, liver toxicity, um, and in vulnerable populations. So folks who already have a, another uh, medical condition or folks over 70 or under the age of seven. Those DEA uh, public comments are due on October 20th, 2020. And once again, the US Hemp Roundtable, uh, which you can learn all about through mjbulls.com and my podcast with Jonathan Miller um, has excellent set of public comments for both the USDA and the DEA for you to take action on. Please take a few minutes of time, do the right thing, make your voice heard. And with that, I bring you an incredible activist and liberator of this versatile, viable plant, Greg Flaval. Have a great week, everyone, and use your voice. Well, welcome to Hemp Barons, Greg Flaval. It sure is wonderful to have you on the show, brother. Hey, thank you, Joy. Pleasure to be here. Haven't seen you or talked to you for ages. For ages. And we have spent so much time together. And we have spent time together doing my favorite thing in the world, which is hempcrete projects. Greg, you are a personal hero of mine, a personal hero to so many people all around the globe interested in hemp, interested in hemp farming, interested in hempcrete and hemp construction. Before uh, the crop began to reemerge, of course, you were. We're already there, along with my mentor and your sister, our sister together, Andrea Herman, with Hemp Technologies, now Hemp Technologies Global. And when there was no education to be found, we got to do webinars with Hemp Technologies for farming, for hempcrete, for hemp construction. And it's not like uh, all of this has been a labor of love, uh, bringing and delivering the whole concept of hemp construction and particularly hempcrete, the mold rot fire and pest resistant construction infill that is taking the world by storm and changing the planet. Uh, you, almost personally, along with just really a handful of other leaders around the world, have introduced this concept and with great labor and great time investment, uh, done everything that you could to educate folks about it. And you have inspired me beyond all words. Um, I don't know as I would have ever even come as far within the hemp movement, particularly within hemp construction, had it not been for your personal and ongoing mentorship of me, education of me and providing me platforms to do my purpose, which is to educate. Please tell us, Greg Flaval, a little bit about yourself, how you got into hemp, and then we're going to get right into Hemp Technologies Global. Well, it's not a very long story, so I'll give you the elevator pitch version. <laughs> I was doing a kitchen remodel for some friends in West Hollywood in Southern California, and Chris gave me at this uh, thesis that she'd written on hemp, the miracle plan of the future. And it was all along the same lines as reduce, reuse, recycle, and compost. And I knew right then it had to be a better way. I didn't know anything about hemp other than the fact you'd need a telephone pole-sized doobie if you wanted to get high off our fiber hemp style, right? And um, 
next thing you know, I'm in England learning about it on, on an actual building site with, uh, with another company over there who've been doing it for a number of years. And then we decided to bring it to the U.S. And that's how we started HempTech uh, way back in um, 2008 in Asheville, North Carolina. And that led to an educational uh, day forum where we brought people out from the U.K. Uh, to help us educate and learn ourselves as well with the um, building officials, fire marshals, police department, and uh, building officials um, to then get permitted to, to build the first few homes uh, in that region. And that's pretty much been our standard MO along the way with, with building in every region, every country, every jurisdiction uh, about alternative building materials and methods and using um, and, and basically through education, helping people to understand that, you know, you're not going to have a party if the house catches fire. <laughs> not even close. No way. In fact, we, we still to this day get a 60% discount on our fire insurance. Just amazing how all of that works. And as usual, you are being very humble. Um, I would expect nothing less of you. Um, you say the first permitted homes, you know, in the region. It's the first permitted hempcrete home in the United States of America, brother. Uh, okay, that hemp true. technologies, yep. along with your co-founder, may he rest in peace. Um, yep, David. David yeah. built and uh, and who was it for? It was for the mayor of Asheville, North Carolina, yeah. <laughs> who, who still is in that home today. And Andrea and I, of course, had the great honor of being able to take a, a tour of that beautiful home um, uh -huh. together a, a few years ago. And then, of course, uh, you got the hemp in the walls. Hemp Technologies got as we call, as we say the hemp in the walls of the Now House, which That's is right. in Asheville, North Carolina, and is the first certified platinum lead hempcrete home in the world is my yep. understanding. Yes, it is. So yes, sure. We, <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. It is. That was, that was really a labor of love to get that and very much an overkill. Won't be doing that again. <laughs> very, very, very expensive exercise. <laughs> Indeed. And a beautiful one. And, and again, that's another situation where Andrea and I had the great honor of actually living in the Now House together for a week. And we got to conduct an actual hemp, hemp technologies, hempcrete workshop from the Now House. Asheville, North Carolina is obviously a lightning rod of hemp consciousness, even independently. It's so interesting, even independently um, of the hemp technologies, heavy duty footprint that's there. Now, the beginning of our relationship, we communicated with you living from New Zealand and you were doing but, all kinds yeah. of incredible things from New Zealand and including we would Skype you into the workshops, right? Because I got to, I love to do the education and I love to, you know, I sort of parrot what I know, what we call Hemp Creek Construction 101, but then for the technical questions, we need the real expert, which is Greg, which is you. So we'd Skype you in and have to work it with the time zones because you were calling from New Zealand. Well, now, I, I won't say now, it's actually, I think you've been here for about three years. When an angel of, an angel of light warriors, and uh, I'm sorry, a choir of light, ain't, one more time. A choir of light warriors and angels sang when you relocated back to the United States, <laughs> to the West Coast. I so, too kind. Where are you hailing from now, sir? So now we're in, uh, in Jacksonville, 
um, southern Oregon, which is about five miles from Medford, which is the town next to Ashland. Ashland's got some fires recently, and then they've spread up through Medford. There was uh, 500,000 people have been evacuated around the region over this last two weeks. It's been horrendous. And we're about 80 miles as the crow flies to the coast, and even the smoke has gone out to the to the coast. I mean, the whole of the west coast of, um, you know, from Mexico to Canada is, is smoky and burning. It sure it's been is. No, absolutely. And you know, I'm here in Seattle and we're dealing with it too. We were so pleased yesterday. Our air quality went from very unhealthy to just unhealthy. Um, Uh Some crazy stuff, but that's a great jumping point. Talking about wildfires, talking about fire, talking about smoke, talking about the unbelievable amount of damage to construction, to homes, people losing their homes. Let's talk a great place to start about hempcrete is the fact that it does not combust. Can you tell us? And and one other thing I just want to set the listeners up for here is that I think if we could go back, you and I have had this conversation and, and uh, so many times, if we could go back and rename hempcrete, we might name it hempfill or hempsilation or something like that because the idea of hempcrete gives people the misimpression that it is a Correct. substitute for concrete. You can use it in building foundations. The reality is a living breathing daylight wall system. It's a construction infill. It's an insulation. And with that, let's talk about the um, fire properties of hempcrete, sir. So if you think about lime as a natural element and you think about hemp as a natural element, so the, the hemp, the part that we use for building to make hemp lime, inverted commas, hempcrete, is, a, is, an, is an organic matter. It's, it's cellulose. And if we just stuff that in the walls of our house and, and it gets wet, it would get it would turn moldy, right? And then we'd have problems. But we protect that cellulose by wrapping it in something that is going to protect it for a long time. And that is the lime. And so we have a high calcium lime above 8.2% pH. Um, and that is wrapped around in the mixing machine with a little bit of water to make it stick together. And that will protect the cellulose. And the cellulose itself is, gives us the insulation value and properties. The, the lime gives us the fire retardancy and the vapor, vapor permeability and also the health benefits of, of, uh, of a vapor permeable wall um, in which we're living, right? So these walls are effectively 8.5% or 8.5 pH, if you like. So they're pretty alkaline. Um, they will fossilize over time as they are absorbing more and more CO2 from the air. So to put it into perspective, you know, an average home, an average size home of about 12 to 1,500 square feet is going to take about 12, um, sorry, six to 7,000 um, pounds of, of hemp, right? And to that, you're going to add about 10 to 12,000 pounds of lime. Well, that 10 to 12,000 pounds of lime over a 10 or 15, 20-year period is going to capture about and increase its weight by about 25 to 30% as it absorbs Everything we're breathing out, which is CO2, toxins in the air, it's going to be absorbing that into the walls, and that's what petrifies it over time. So the fire retardancy actually builds and builds and builds with these walls. And over, you know, over, over a considerable amount of time, your, 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 your hemp house is going to turn to stone. <laughs> it's going to petrify. Monolithic. Right? Monolithic. Monolithic. That's it. And the cellulose itself gives us the the has is a hygros, is hygroscopic we call it, which makes it vapor permeable. Which means if you blew it up five thousand times a piece of that hemp, you would see a whole bunch of little air holes like a sponge, 
like a miniature sponge running through it. And that's what gives it the value for insulation. And the lime itself retains moisture. So it's always, it's a vapor permeable. And that's what gives it the fire retardancy because lime, when you heat lime, it sweats. And like us humans, when we sweat, we get cooled down. <laughs> right? So it's basically, it's Mother Nature doing her thing, you know, synergistically. Synergistically, and in fact, for the listeners, when we when we discuss this idea of of the carbon sequestration, as you say, soaking in the CO two, it's it's the lime cycle. And boy, do I remember when I you know came to you thinking the magic of hempcrete was all about the hemp, and indeed, the very unique, no other thing like it, no other fiber like it, cellulosic makeup of hemp absolutely is unique. And the fact that hemp contains silica, of course, which binds well with lime, but but boy, was I shocked when I found out that I'd say, I mean, I'm going to throw this number out there, 70% of the unbelievable but very real performance of hempcrete is actually the lime. So the lime kind of takes center stage when it comes to hempcrete. And this idea, again, of carbon sequestration is that limestone is calcium carbonate. That's what it is. We mine it, we burn it to drive out the CO2. Uh, that becomes calcium oxide, the quick lime that's sort of left behind. Then we slake it, add water to it. Uh, then it becomes calcium hydroxide, and that's sort of a, a putty. And then that turns into a powder. We buy the powder at the store, right? And, and of course, the kind of lime that we'll use for hempcrete, you're not going to get at any old store, although I know you've, you're coming up with some great innovations there. But the point is, you buy the lime in the powder, you add the water to it, and the minute you add the water to it and it gets exposed to air, it wants to be calcium carbonate again. This is the lime cycle. So it starts to grab those carbon dioxide molecules from the air, sequestering them, and also fossilizing uh, that cellulose. It's just incredible natural stuff. Can we talk for a moment about, and it does not combust is the point, and folks can go on YouTube and, you know, um, YouTube sort of fire, hempcrete fire test and see the direct application of torches for minutes and minutes and even up to an hour and you're just digging a small hole uh, into the hempcrete. It, it simply will not um, combust. Let's talk about, and if I've missed anything there, brother, I've looked to you to supplement if I've misspoken at all. Um, otherwise, Let's talk about the durability and longevity of this incredible construction material. Uh, I think the oldest hemp house known right now is in the northwest quadrant of Japan. It's like 320 years old. The only thing they keep changing on it is the, is the thatched roof <laughs> because the walls of this, of this little house have turned to stones, literally. Um, but, the, you know, the Great Wall of China has hemp in it, the, the old... Uh, Pyramids have got hemp in them and lime. I mean, there's, this this is not a new material. It's a very old, old material that, that uh, we could be, you know, growing and processing and building with domestically in the United States without all the freight costs across the ocean. Um, and and this is, you know, this is this has been my push for a long, long time for getting it local. And I mean, I've we did some numbers some years back. I know I'm digressing a little bit. Um, but we we concluded that if only one percent of all the agricultural land in America was planted in George Washington hemp, we could insulate every brand new home that was built every year in America.
And when we consider uh, the amount of homes and construction that are going up and that over 50% of our landfills every year are filled with construction waste from toxic, off-gassing, temporary materials. And I often say, I don't know how as a society or civilization, we somehow came while we were while sleeping to accept buildings and construction lasting 40 to 80 years. This is this is ridiculous. This is totally irresponsible, not to mention completely inefficient and uneconomical. And so when we talk about buildings that will last hundreds of years, that will provide optimal indoor air quality, that perform more superiorly than some of the most incredible uh, insulative materials out there, it really um, starts to change the game. It is a major game changer. And, you know, when you were doing this back in 2008, and starting to, and then in 2009, I guess, is really when materials started to be delivered to the United States as you began mm-hmm. to em- embark um, on the mountain house, as we call the mayor of Asheville's house, or the town mountain house. Um, it was, we had to deal with that carbon footprint, right, of of getting the hemp herd shipped to us, the herd being, of course, the inner woody core of the hemp stock shipped to us from England, and then and the lime coming from elsewhere. And here we have put one foot in front of the other together, uh, watching and working toward what we see today, which is legal hemp growing in the United States, now legalized as an agricultural commodity, and folks actually starting to grow as you well know, the extract varieties of hemp immediately started to um, make a footprint here because there was infrastructure for extraction and the cannabinoids and the dietary supplements. And and so when we had less infrastructure to process the fiber, and certainly we're still in, in the nascent stages of that, but it is here, it is coming, and there are folks growing hemp, and we can start to use U.S. grown hemp for some of our projects. Can you tell us a little bit about those sources, which I think Hemp Technologies is even involved? We are. In fact, we've, I've just come from a trial this afternoon of some new equipment that we're looking at for off the shelf to, to, to make as part of our decorticator. Um, we've had, we've got uh, a couple of federal initiative uh, partners that are that are have asked us to help educate people on life beyond CBD, <laughs> i.e., the real hemp here, the real hemp um, hero, is the George Washington style fiber hemp. And if we can make um, processing affordable, then without you know without the big dollar cost of the equipment that we've got in Europe, we can you know we could be we could be having numbers of of, of processing plants in every state of America. Now we're do now we're having the cost of our material because we don't have that big freight cost, right? And we've just we just recently released our new microcost, which is a as a as a natural mineral additive that goes into a regular bag of hydrated lime that you can buy from Home Depot or Lowe's. So instead of bringing you know twenty five or fifty five pound sacks of of lime binder out of Europe, we can now go to go to our local masonry supply store and get a pallet of or two of, of, of regular hydrated lime delivered at ten or eleven bucks a bag, ten to twelve dollars a bag to be exact. Um, and then you know by with a couple of dollars more, you're adding in some 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 of our micropoles. Now you've got a sixty minute set on uh, you know on site and with with way less freight involved, right? So which means that instead of getting 
instead of paying thousands of dollars to bring a container of a lime binder out of um, out of Europe across to the United States, now you you can use uh, your local networked, locally nationally networked um, Home Depot or Lowe's to use you know two examples, or your lumber supply yard. They bring in the lime on their dime, and now you then they're delivering it by the pallet load to your to your job site within within a few miles. Right? I mean, it just makes so much sense. The listeners can't see me wildly shaking my head from left to right because this is a game changer. This is a tremendous game changer. When we know we used to get the type N, Dolmetic, uh, hydraulic lime um, at $48 a bag, no matter, you know, how many you bought, mm-hmm. uh, so on and so forth. You're you're talking about, and then of course the, the freight costs, and we would often say, we're so sorry. This is just, if you really want a hempcrete house five years ago and earlier than that, then it's going to be imported herd. And we, we are sorry to tell you that the cost of the herd inside the container nearly costs what the container bringing it here costs. So, you know, but that was just how the supply chain was. And thanks to dedication and hard work for people like Chem Technologies and others, um, that's totally changing. And so now we're really, you are actually getting it down to where the cost for hemp creek construction was fairly similar particularly to the higher cost of living here in seattle i can tell you from at minimum you're about 250 dollars a square foot just because it's seattle right and and we could have already beat that with with hemp creek now you're talking about straight up competition i mean this is not only trying to get even here but really starting to be competitive and of course there is no competition when we talk about uh, the smart economics of the home, which I'd like us to get into now, including we don't have those upfront costs for the big HVAC, big air conditioning, big heating units. And and folks find it hard to believe um, when I say, listen, with a 12 to 18 inch wall, depending on how close you are to a pole or the equator, and with proper windows, of course, your hemp creek constructed home will stay with an interior temperature, ambient temperature of around 60 degrees Fahrenheit year round without a heating or cooling system. This sounds too good to be true. Lay it on us, brother. Why is this a true fact? Well, because the you've got the hemp and lime working synergistically together that create, the, the, and it's the only material really out there that will give you a true natural uh, thermal mass and thermal conductivity all in one material. So while you've got the insulated value of, of the hemp and the lime together, you've also got that, that 12 to 18 inch mass that is a very tortuous in nature um, and it's vapor permeable. There's no, there's no horizontal or vertical um, planes in this material. So you've got, you've got a really, a really pretty cool old age material brought into the modern times that's a bit like a mud brick house or it's a bit like a solid timber house. It's a bit like a rammed earth house, but, but cost less. It's annually renewable. You don't have to wait for 20 years for a Douglas fir to grow um, or 15 for a pine tree. And you can, I mean, now we're, we're at the point where we've got structurally certified blocks that we can, we can go up to two floors with a residential home. Um, and these, these are all positive steps in the right direction for an annually renewable crop. And, you know, it, it's, it's realistic. And not only that, we're going to get back to the, I hope we get to talk about the farming side of it because, um, the, you know, the, the farmers are dying on the vine out there 
you know, being paid not to grow this and paid not to grow that. They're making three, $350 net per acre for, so- for corn, soybeans, pulses, whatever. And, you know, with growing George Washington-style hemp, and I call it GW hemp because that's the fiber variety, right? And um, we were getting 15 to 20-foot tall plants, and we can be paying the farmer, you know, 100 bucks a ton at the farm gate, right? And then, and so that at, on that basis, they're actually doubling their money from what they're making now growing food, right? Or getting being paid not to grow food. I was going to and yeah. not be subsidized, you know, to to be who they are. Our farmers, as we often say in this show, if it weren't for the top six inches of soil and rainfall, we would all be dead. We should be worshiping farmers, and they yeah. deserve to be growing crops that they are getting paid for. That there is purpose, there is reward. None of this subsidies not to grow. It's a fascinating concept that what has been well, going on in it, America. Joy, it's a very vicious cycle. I mean, if you look at the numbers across the United States, you've got 20-odd returned vets who are taking their own lives on a daily basis in this great nation. Mm -hmm. But you've got 40-odd small family farmers who are doing the same thing, taking their own lives because they can't feed their families. And so, and this is one of the initiatives that we're involved with is NCAT, which is the National Center for Applied Technology. They have a very, very solid um, in a federal initiative to train returned vets to put them back on the farm, to put them onto farming, right? To help them to repurpose them in, onto the land. Uh, they are one group that is that is uh, sponsoring us to help educate farmers on life beyond CBD. It's not all about you know the, the medicine because the medicine prices are going down, 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 and eventually CBD is going to be the same price as aspirin. Um, but we all need a place to live. And out of the plant, we can food our, feed ourselves, we can shelter ourselves, we can warm ourselves, right? We can clothe ourselves. Um, so food, fuel, shelter, jobs, and even world peace. What more can I say? <laughs> I mean, drop the mic. You know, and, and we've we've had other shows where we've had guests on who are aware, you know, from the USDA and, and so forth, um, or have experience with the USDA, used to have careers there, you know, and have talked about there's actually increased number in farmer suicide. So scary that there is uh, legislation out there to increase funding to three different programs within the USDA that deal with farmer stress. But before we digress too much, not that that is digressing. This is a very important, as disturbing and dark as that reality is, we need to understand that farmer bankruptcies and farmer suicides are on the rise in epic proportions to the point where there are departments in within USDA to deal with it and, and funding being asked to be increased to deal with it. Um, back to hempcrete for a moment. When you talk about the vapor permeability, let's and we talk about Hurricane Katrina. I mean, you know, here we are talking about the wildfires. Let's just go to another example, but now one with water. Hurricane Katrina, knowing the horrible damage that was done uh, to New Orleans when that levee broke. Can you first explain to the listeners a little bit about the University of Bath um, research and studies that went on with various thicknesses, just an overview of it, of various thicknesses of hempcrete uh, panels, and then, and and what would have been the outcome, let's say, with New Orleans had all of that construction been hempcrete, would it have survived? They would have definitely outrageously survived. Um, you, could, you, could dunk, you can take a house and dunk it in a swimming pool full of water and saturate it to death 
bring it out, and within a couple, two or three weeks with, with airflow, it's going to dry out. And because of the eight and a half pH of the lime, you're not going to have any mold issues. You know, cement has mold because it's, it, it only breeds one way. Hemp breeds, you know, it's omni-breathing. It's like universally breathing. It's like a lung, just like the skin of our bodies is a lung. Um, you know, the hemp crete or hemp lime uh, is probably a more accurate term. It's hemp and lime um, is, uh, is vapor permeable. So it's, there's always going to be, you know, once it dries down to around 8 or 9% um, moisture content, it'll stay there, right? It'll stay at that point. Now, dry rot starts at 19% moisture, right? So typically you're wanting, and because we frame our houses with, with mostly lumber, we've got, we only add enough water to the material to make it stick together, so we don't want too much water in there. Um, and then within two or three weeks, it's drying down to, to, to around you know, eight or nine percent moisture content, and it's going to stay static at that level because it's vapor permeable, um, and it's going to last, as I said, and keep absorbing, absorbing, absorbing uh, toxins and CO2. So we've not only kept, we've not only sequestered the the initial CO2, um, which we should be getting tax credits for in in building the walls of, of our house. But we're also going to increase, we're going to continue to capture 25% of the weight of that line uh, over time inside those walls. So we're still sequestering CO2. And it is measurable. It is scientifically, mathematically measurable. Something else I'd like to, um, to put on the table here that you may not be aware of is that even with my own place in New Zealand, uh, we had a geobiologist come through and we did some measurements for microvolts, right? We have found completely by accident that hemp lime mitigates electromagnetic frequencies. That is pretty incredible, given that, that the United States and the rest of the world are rolling out 5G right now. To the point where, let's talk a little bit about Wi-Fi for a moment and, and radio frequencies, any sort of other anecdotal information or otherwise that you can add around that EMF protection with hempcrete. So we have we did a um, on the first which was which was my own place we did a um, a measurement and we the house is located about a half a mile down the road from a local radio station right and standing on the footpath outside the house the measure the measuring device the electronic measuring device measured eight thousand microvolts that means that we are standing outside absorbing eight thousand microvolts now we all all of us humans you know attract microvolts into our system um, but the EMF population who are who are uh, afflicted by this is actually greater than east than um, uh, multiple chemical sensitivity so when you went inside the house um, we actually put the measuring device on again and we were now down to below 30 microvolts we don't even know how this has happened but it's happened and we can kind of put it down to the tortuous nature i.e. that the, the microvolt has a lot has a long way to go to get from what from the outside to the inside. <laughs> Just like vapor, right? So that's that's the only thing we can put it down to. But it's working. We did another house um, subsequently that uh, was measuring fifty thousand microvolts directly in line of sight to the regional airport. And when we went inside we were we were below forty microvolts. And this is a big deal. And I mean it wasn't it wasn't that long ago that I thought, you know, oh this is all poppycock. And I mean, if you you know, unless you're wearing a silver pointy hat, you know, you weren't in that in that camp, right? Well, I've become a believer because we've seen the benefits of it from reducing microvoltage, and especially 
in sleeping areas, sleeping quarters, uh, where you can you can you can actually measure the um, your melatonin levels, right? That have, that that replenish while you're sleeping, and th- there have been forms of cancer, you know, directly attributable to EMF. Uh, there have been ca- forms of cancer directly attributable from sleeping over uh, a, a stress a stress fault underneath your bedroom. So this is why we do when we're doing new houses now. We go and we have a geobiologist come in who's one of our team. Rob is on our website. Um, he comes in with a divining rod of all things, just like we used to divine for water. Now he can divine on the house plans, on the floor plan of the house, the length, the breadth, and the depth of any geopathic stresses underneath those those sleeping quarters, and then you plan accordingly. It's it's all about the science, and you and when you when you pull it together synergistically. It works a real treat. Just amazing. And there are people who are so, so sensitive, canaries in the mine, so to speak. And so they need hemp textiles. They need hemp houses. You know, they've, they're just having to eliminate every possible irritant, allergen, and electromagnetic frequency in their lives. On to some, some practical things about home building. Uh, is that not only do you at Hemp Tech Global, and, and please also go to mjbulls.com and we'll have all the links and uh, social media tags and, and all of those links of Greg so you can get in touch with Hemp Technologies Global. Not only are you selling all of these materials and so much more, of course, than what we're talking about here. This is just a little taste. But if you go to uh, your website, hit the little menu plus sign in the upper right-hand corner and just deal. look at all of that huge list of materials along with all of the services and education uh, that you offer. What about folks who want to get it built? Now, as you and I know, uh, we started to do these United States workshops here and and folks were like, okay, well, who can do it? You were living in New Zealand. We're, you know, No one really knew what to do in the United States, how to construct one of these homes. We'd have to fly you to the United States to get it done. Now that you're here in the United States and infrastructure is building, what if somebody wants to build a, I don't want them to build a 3,000 square foot home. I want everyone to build tiny homes. But for purposes and demonstration (laughs) of my question, someone wants to build a 3,000 square foot home because they're going to move their whole family in. They better be if they're going to make that much of an environmental imprint. Who builds this for them? Can can they call him Technologies Global? And, And what is the network looking like these days? So the network actually, Joy, has expanded quite a bit because I'm more about I'm more about train the trainer. Um, so it's easier for us to help train um, a, a general contractor in their area, right? So someone lives I don't know, just call it Texas or at East Coast, Virginia, or uh, in Seattle, right? We've got different builders now who have who we've trained. Along the way, and if it's if there's not somebody in that area, and you you want to build a house, and you've got a favourite builder, uh, it, you know, it starts with designing the house, it starts with doing the engineering, and it starts with pulling out the materials, putting the cut sheet together, um, and then we'll come in and we'll coordinate a, or we can, I mean, that's with your blessing, of course, we'll come in coordinate a one day or two day uh, individual workshop. Generally, on a work site, we, we limit it to six to eight people attending because of the because of the work, workplace health and safety. Because slips, trips, and falls are, account for about eighty percent of workers' comp. So, 
um, you know, we come in and we do a, you know, we do a one-day workshop, and that's generally enough for people to understand, hey, you know what, this is not so hard after all. We're using machinery off the shelf. We're using locally, you know, um, delivered lime. We've got a microfos there. We've got, you know, we've got our masks and our goggles, and we teach people how to form up and and then do it. And we're training the, the GC at the same time. So now we've had GCs actually go on to do more projects with hemp because they've done the first one. With of course. Us, right? And that's how you expand a network. It's not about keeping it to ourselves. It's about teaching as many people as we can to, you know, to do it, to help. It's, it's very, it really does lend itself to DIY, right? Um, and we've even, out of people that have attended a paid day workshop, we found, you know, there've been one or two people that said, man, I really like this. Can I, you know, do you need any more help? I'd stay on and help. And they end up getting hired on from the home, by the homeowner to continue working on the house. I mean, it's a, it's a very community-based type of material, right? Cooperative, cooperative, organic, and meaning that's an organic relationship that you just discussed. It's organic how those networks build. And it's, of course, never, ever been uh, in your even bailiwick, much like our our last guest, Rohit Sharma, um, to keep these things to yourself. That has never been. And and nobody needs to at the beginning of uh, the reintroduction of this crop, as Jace Calloway from Finola says, we're all just going whaling anyway. Um, Uh So, of course, each one, teach one, expanding the network. What it does is, of course, create that infrastructure in that community for the plant to flourish, for us to do our planetary healing work through construction, through farming, through everything that we do. And and I want to also just quickly touch upon, as you know, most of the work that we've done together. In fact, all of the work that we've done together thus far, you and I, you've done certainly other types of projects with other people, but you and I have only worked on what I would call wet casting. So we mix the hemp the construction infill looks a little bit like dry oatmeal, the hemp herd, the lime in the water, and we cast it into the walls. It's again a construction infill and we tamp it um, on site versus prefabricated panels. There, are, As you well know, commercial folks don't want to sit there and wait for hempcrete to cure. They want to plop some panels in the wall and, and so do homeowners from tiny homes to large ones. Can you tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about that? So we are, as part of our decortication processing facility in Medford that we're putting, that we're building, uh, we're just getting ready to pour uh, a fifty by two hundred foot, fifty by two hundred square uh, foot slab um, to stop to actually do some panels. So we're going to be doing some fabricated, prefabricated panels on site. So we're actually able to make to, and, and I learned this in in Switzerland actually. Um, we lay the panels down. You know, horizontally on a work on a workspace, um, and then fill them with um, uh, in, in my in my form of panel. It's going to be four inches of hemp lime, and then it's going to be four inches of because I'm a Kiwi and I come from a country of sixty million sheep. It's going to be wool <laughs> insulation. Right. So now we've got an eight-inch panel that gives us both the thermal mass and the thermal conductivity, and they're both naturally. Natural, like 100% natural materials working together synergistically. We've done some trials with these, and they they're looking superb, and they're they're lighter, um, and they're great. Those those will be good for tilt ups, right? Those will be good for hanging on post and beam commercial structures. These will be good for people doing tiny homes. They'll be good for 
a monorail system on a slab for you know any size of home basically at the end of the day. Um, we're going, we probably will, we're in discussions right now helping to design um, a two-story house for the, for, for the city of Medford. Um, and they want to do a two-story regular home along with an ADU attached on the same lot, which is a granny flat, right? And a 600-square-foot granny flat, which is proof of, proof of concept for the city of Medford. And, they, and then, of course, we just lost 3,500 homes in the Jackson County area. Mm-hmm. So the prefab's definitely a, a, a quicker form to build because we can, we can make those panels, have them pre-dried, stack them on an A-frame on a, on a, on a truck, take them to site. The foundations are already done while we're making the panels in, in a, in a uh, conventional conditioned warehouse. And then we lock them all together, put the top rails down, start slinging the roof, and now you're installing your windows and doors. Right. You know, so we're talking cast in place or prefab panels or blocks. There is so much versatility around this incredible material. Um, it's it's really just incredible. And and that is also brings me to the decorating options. If you're a person who likes 90 degree corners, if you want industrial squares and linear sharp edges, Hemp Creek can do that. If you want more rounded type edges, Hemp Creek can do that. If you want to make crazy designs and live in a house shaped like a mushroom or some psychedelic form of a mushroom, Hemp Creek can do that. And then of yep. course, there's the adding of the, the pigment dyes, um, the iron oxide pigment dyes and whatnot in terms of making your house a, a decorated in any color uh, that you would possibly want. Um, it's just the options are, are endless with this material. Greg, I cannot wait, first of all, to have you back on. We could talk for hours and hours, um, but I want to make sure before we end um, this first interview, this particular interview, that I give you an opportunity to, to let the listeners know anything that you want to make sure you say that, that I haven't asked or particular message you may want to give to the listeners. You know, that's a, that's an open-ended question, Joy. <laughs> I'd say really it comes down to, we've got to grow this material. Then we can, we, we can help people to process the material and we can help people to build with the material we have other, you know, other materials that we that we're bringing to bringing to market, like our MDF replacement board, which is a we can use for interior applications for subfloor and so forth. We've actually just we're just coming out with our hemp wood, the um, engineered flooring, um, and I've just made I just made a table outside, with, you know, with hemp wood, um, and I'm just getting ready to put a finish on it. But I mean, it's, it's this is beautiful material, and it's all using locally grown material. And that's what it's all about. We don't need all these other countries to supply us. We don't need to pay the freight companies oodles of money to bring stuff into the country. We don't need to pay import taxes. We can grow it, process it, and use it right here. Food, fuel, shelter, jobs, and world peace. (laughs) 
Making America hemp again. That's what's going on. That is what's going on. Well, I I cannot believe how fast this time has flown by. I know. We will absolutely, you're just a wealth of knowledge in so many different directions. I cannot thank you enough for your leadership, for your mentorship, for your brotherhood, for the tremendous sacrifice of time, of resources, of emotional, psychological, spiritual bandwidth. I mean, the investment um, that you have made into this crop due to your just strong knowledge and strong belief in what it can do, particularly as a building material among everything else is is nearly unmatched, brother. Thank you for everything that you do for hemp, um, for your presence in my life. And we can't wait to have you on again. Listeners, please go to mjbulls.com so you can get all the links uh, to Greg and how to get in touch with Hemp Tech Global. Gregory, thank you. That's awesome, sister. Thank you very much. Come back. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today, where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. Check out A Major Journey today on all major podcast platforms.